I know, I know it's a Sunday morning when Mark Anderson's in the front row. So praise God, praise God for that. Whether you're here, whether you're out in our tent area, whether you're watching from home online, we're just thankful, uh, man, that we are the church and we are here. And so, you know, over uh, this past month, like Pastor Greg mentioned, we've been going through this series called Last Words. And this has been man, a really powerful series as we have looked at the final words recorded in the Bible that Christ spoke before his death. And this series will carry us into uh, Easter weekend, as, as Pastor uh, Dan mentioned, two weeks away, two weeks away. Uh, I'm so excited, you know, that we, it's looking like we're going to be able to have live service here for Easter. We would love you guys to come if that's something you guys feel comfortable with. I think about last year at this time, and I think one of the saddest things was, you know, we couldn't be here to celebrate Easter together, but that is not going to be the case this year. And so start to make your plans for that, whether you're joining us here in person or online. And today, you know, we're going to touch on one of, I got to say, one of the most powerful, impactful scriptures in the Bible, and that is Matthew 27, 46. And I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Uh, but before we get there, let me open up in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we, wherever we may be, that we are the body of Christ. And, and I just couldn't help but think over this last year, pretty much almost exactly a year, Lord, that you provided this reminder um, that you are the common denominator. You are what connects us, Lord. That geography does not matter, but it's your presence. It's the Holy Spirit that is within each of us, whether we're in this building or not, whether we're in the South Bay or not, Lord, that you are what matters. But we are thankful, Father, just to be able to be taking some steps forward and progressing, Lord, and, and having uh, some semblance, some options for church here at the building. Thank you for providing that. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we get into this passage, it, it is such a deep, heavy passage, Lord, that shows the depths of your love for us. And I pray as we study it, Lord, that we would really be able to, uh, to wrestle with that, to grasp that, that whatever truth it is you want to speak into our hearts, or that our hearts would be wide open to invite you in. And Lord, in, in many ways, I, I don't feel uh, equipped to get into a passage this deep, but I know it's not me, that it is the Holy Spirit that will provide truth and that will point people towards you. So let me be usable a vessel in this time. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So yeah, we are going to be in Matthew 27, 46. And so if you guys have your apps, you can open it up. All your notes will be in there. If you have your Bibles, flip it open, Matthew 27. Before we uh, get into it, though, I kind of want to just set the scene. What's going on here as we read this passage? And uh, as we see this, Jesus has been on the cross for roughly about six hours. And he is in bad physical shape. You know, he might be at a place where he is almost unrecognizable to the people that know him and love him. And we can imagine all of the, the physical agony uh, that he has gone through as he's been continually beaten, as there's lacerations on his back, as he's wearing this crown of thorns, as he has had these nails driven into his hands, driven into his feet, and he's hanging from this cross. And for all intents and purposes, he is on the brink of death right now and he's also enduring this he's alone he is deserted the women that love him and care for him they might be silent at this moment his disciples his best friends that he has spent so much time with they're terrified and they have deserted him there's not a trace of them and Jesus after making sure that his mother was not abandoned and that she was taken care of Jesus was about to experience this separation from his own father. And that's where we pick up here. We're going to read actually verses 45 and 46 of Matthew 27. It says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, as we hear these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't the first time that we see this in scripture. When Jesus cries this out, this cry is actually a fulfillment that we first see in Psalm 22, 1. That's where it was originally shared. And if we look at Psalm 22, there's so many parallels in that Psalm to the events of the crucifixion leading up to it and the actual crucifixion. And Psalm 22, if you have the chance to read it, it is a Psalm of lament. And Psalms of lament were, were given at a time where you were experiencing just deep grief, uh, deep regret, deep sorrow. And if we look at the, the totality of Psalms, one third of the Psalms in there are classified as Psalms of lament. And David wrote this, and we don't know what the circumstances were when David wrote this. Uh, we, we can look at David's life, and there were so many moments, uh, ups and downs, and ebbs and flows in his life, but times where uh, he was relying on God with everything he had, and he was experiencing that grief, and he was experiencing that regret. So we can imagine this psalm could have been written at any one of those times. But again, what is noteworthy about Psalm 22 is that there's many foreshadowings to what Christ was going to go through on the cross as David shares this. And a few of the ones we've been reading through of these past few weeks, right, his hands and his feet being pierced, the bones being pulled out of joint, his clothes being gambled for. And as Pastor Gary took us in last week, that Jesus would thirst. And as he got that water, that this might physically have allowed him to share these last few statements that he needed to make. So let's dive in as we look at it. Psalm 27, 46. And he, may, he cries out those nine words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I read this, you know, I, just questions were kind of in my mind as I was studying this. You know, why did Jesus cry this out? And I think some people had raised the question, was Jesus crying this out because he, he wasn't uh, sure of what was going to happen to him, what was in front of him, what he was about to endure? And I, I don't really think that was the case at all. I think Jesus was very well aware of what he was about to enter into, what he was going through in that moment. And we see that because just a chapter earlier in Matthew 26, Jesus was praying. He was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying as if he knew all, everything that he was about to go through. The torture, the suffering, the abandonment from his disciples, and so much more. And I wanted to take you to that passage, Luke 22:44. This is what it says about Jesus in that moment as he's praying. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Man, that, that's an incredible mental image. As Jesus was so troubled, he was so distressed that his sweat was like blood, and it was falling to the ground. This is what he was wrestling with. This is what he was going through. And I think what was interesting here was that he was at Gethsemane, and Gethsemane was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives was a place that Christ would regularly go to pray, uh, just to be in communication with his Father. And in Hebrew, Gethsemane means oil press, which makes sense if Gethsemane is connected to the Mount of Olives. And in this time, you know, olives, they were harvested, they were crushed, and that's where we would get olive oil from. And in Bible times, olive oil was very valuable. It, it, was, it was desired, it was something that was important. And there was a whole process of how they extracted this oil uh, from the olive. And I wanted to show you a picture of, of what an olive press might have looked like uh, back in these times. You can see a pretty, pretty amazing uh, contraption. You can see the, the wooden lever, right, that's running across and connecting. And then you see that big circular stone. And when they would activate the lever, it, that stone would come down and there would be a basket of olives and that stone would crush it. It would crush the olives. The oil would come out into that basin 
And then if they had some type of collecting vat, maybe a jar, it would flow into that. And that, that was the process of how uh, they made olive oil. And so Jesus, he was praying uh, in the place of the oil press, knowing, I think in a way, that he was the one that was soon going to be pressed, that he was going to be tested in a way that he never had before. And so from this passage in Luke 22, I think we can gather that Jesus, he knew exactly what was coming. So again, we get back to that question, why did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And your first point today as we answer this is, even in his suffering, Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Even in his suffering, Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Now, I don't think on that cross that Jesus thought, hey, let me, let me quote a piece of scripture right now. Let me quote Psalm 22.1. That, that's what I'm going to do. But I think what was happening is what we have seen is that when Jesus was at some of his lowest points, both physically, mentally, spiritually, how did he respond? He responded with scripture, right? Scripture is what came out of him in those moments, the words of his father. And we saw this on many occasions, but I think one area where we saw it really come through loud and clear was when he was being tempted by Satan. You know, Satan came to him after Jesus was 40 days in the desert. You can imagine 40 days of not eating, of fasting. Like, I know how I feel after half a day of not eating, right? Just hard to focus. I can feel that rumble in my stomach. And for 40 days, Jesus is not eating. And you can imagine what type of physical, mental, and spiritual shape he was in. He could not be at a good place. And Satan knew this, right? So Satan comes to him at a weak moment, and he tempts him. And one of the first things that, that he tempted him with was telling him, hey, you, you got to be so hungry, Jesus. Why don't you just take these stones and make bread out of it? I know you can do it. No problem. And man, how good would bread taste? Just that sensation of eating and filling your stomach. But this is how Jesus responded in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? Scripture. Scripture was his response. Again, Satan tempts him. Satan takes him to a very high place. And he's looking out over all of these kingdoms, all of these buildings. And Satan tells him, Jesus, all of this, I will give all of this to you. All you have to do is get down on your knees and bow and worship me. That's all you have to do. You know, what a, what a tempting proposition. But again, how did Jesus respond in Luke 4, 8? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, his response is scripture. So we see here when Jesus is truly suffering, it's second nature for him to quote the word of God because that's at his core. In his core and who he is is the word of God. He is the embodiment of scripture. And I love this verse from John 1.1 1, 1 that lays this out so succinctly, so powerfully. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus, in essence, he's the word of God in flesh. And so it makes sense that the word of God would come out of him because that is who he is at his core. And my question for us is, we can ask ourselves, when we are in times of suffering, like what is our response? Like what naturally comes out? You know, just something to go along with this. Uh, just a question, raise your hands. How many of you guys like coffee? How many coffee drinkers do we have here, right? Oh man, pretty good amount. Pretty good amount of coffee drinkers. I, I love coffee, right? The the aroma when it's brewing, the taste. I have probably two cups of coffee a day in the morning and then probably one in the afternoon. I just curious, does anybody here drink coffee four times a day or more? Any people? A few hands. Man, we're gonna pray for you guys. That's a lot of coffee. That's a lot of coffee to drink. 
But we all know that coffee, it comes from beans. And it's amazing. You grab this little bean and you look at it and you would never think that it would become what it ends up becoming, right? Through some preparation steps and through pressure, it, it becomes this beverage that we enjoy so much. And I know one way we can make coffee is with the French press. Now, Pastor Caleb, he's probably our, our uh, resident, like, coffee connoisseur on our staff, and he has a French press, and I've seen him making it. It's a really interesting process of how coffee is made that way. And I do press coffee, too. I put my K-cup in my Keurig, and I press the button, and that coffee comes out. It's, like, awesome, like, less than a minute. But, you know, a French press is a way to make coffee, and people do it, apparently, because it gives you control of the water temperature and how long you brew it, so that can really uh, all add up to a stronger, bolder taste than the other ways that we make coffee. And I wanted to show you a pic, like just a picture of what it looks like uh, to kind of operate this French press. Here it is. There's like six steps up here. Uh, but I kind of want to take you to step number six. And, and that is you have this, this coffee press and there's a plunger on top. And so after you have put the coffee grinds in and everything's ready to go, you push that, that plunger down. And when you push that plunger down, you apply that pressure. What it does is it separates the coffee grinds from the coffee liquid. Because, man, I think if you're a coffee drinker, one of the worst things is when you get coffee grinds in your coffee, right? You take a big gulp and those grinds are just in your mouth. It's one of the worst things. But what we do here, the, pre the pressure that is applied by the plunger gives you what you really want. It gives you what you really want. Not a, a, a cup of gritty coffee grinds, but it gives you this amazing beverage that so many of us wouldn't want to live without. And that press provides something worthwhile, and it reveals what has been there all along in that coffee bean. And I think we can ask ourselves when we are pressed, when we are suffering, what is our response? What comes out of us? And for Christ, again, it was the word of God. It was stored up inside of him. So it was going to come flooding out. And for us in suffering, what comes out? And I think one tip that tells us what comes out when we're suffering is what we're putting in. What we put in, right, is what's going to come out. Garbage in, garbage out. Word of God in, word of God out. That's a great indicator. And so back to our first point, why did Jesus cry out these words to his father? Again, he was fulfilling scripture. Hence, in that time, Psalm 22, 1 came out, the word of God. You know, as I was studying this passage this week, there was a, it, it's a deep passage. And I was just kind of thinking through and praying through a lot of everything that was happening here. And there's a tremendous, tremendous weight to what we see in this passage. Again, nine words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there are things happening in this scripture that changed everything. It changed everything for me. It changed everything for you. It changed everything for everybody watching from home right now. It was a game changer. And I think what I see here, if we're at looking at the second reason of why God cried this out, is that Christ is experiencing the spiritual punishment for our sins. You know, we can read this passage and we can just gloss over it. Oh, this is nice. You know, Jesus died on the cross. I know what happened. I, I, there's some, some knowledge. But I don't think that many times we don't sit and meditate on the scripture of the true weight behind it, that all of our sins were resting on him in that moment, that he was experiencing the spiritual punishment. He was bearing the weight of every sin that had ever been committed, past, present, and future. He was wearing that. He was experiencing that in this moment. And as horrible, as horrible as the physical suffering he went through, and if you read the passage, it's amazing what Christ went through, how he was beaten, how he was tortured. As, as difficult as that physical suffering was, I think what Christ really dreaded on the cross was the spiritual suffering. 
was the weight of this sin, and he dreaded it. He dreaded it. If we go back to Luke 22, as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said he was trembling, right? He was sweating drops of blood onto the ground. And even in his prayer, he asked God, hey, if this cup, if there's any possibility this cup could be passed for me, Father, let that happen. But he always prefaced it at the end, but not my will, but your will be done. It was always the will of his Father. But there was a way to that, and he dreaded it. And I want to just take a moment uh, just to slow things down a little bit this morning. Uh, Whether you're here, whether you're watching at home, if you guys can just humor me and just close your eyes for a moment. I want you guys to close your eyes. I want you guys to think. Think about this morning. Uh, Think about yesterday. Just to the best of, of your recollection, are there any sins that you have committed in that time? Maybe it was driving here uh, this morning. Maybe somebody made a move on the road that you didn't like and your anger flared up and maybe you said something under your breath or maybe not so under your breath. Maybe you said it out audibly. Maybe yesterday there was a, a disagreement with your family. Something rubbed you the wrong way and, and you, know, you were angry at your kids or if your kids, you were angry at your parents. But think about, think about what sins you committed. Now, just think back to last week, you know, Monday through Friday, were there things you did that you regret that you can look back on, man, I shouldn't have done that. That was a sin. And I want you guys to open up your eyes. You know, these are just the ones that we can remember, right? How many times do we sin each day in ways sometimes we're aware of and some ways that we're not? You know, I think about my 44 years of life, and I, I was thinking through that this, this week. You know, all the sins I've, I have committed, and it, it's to me, it was embarrassing. And if I told you some of the things I've done in my life, you guys would be shocked. You'd be like, man, I can't, believe, I can't believe you've done that, Dave. I think about all the lies I've told. I think about all the times I did things with selfish motives, things that would benefit me. And sometimes I passed it off like it would benefit other people. But underlying it was, hey, I want this to go this way because this is going to benefit me first and foremost. I think about all the things I've done out of anger, out of frustration, all the times I've hurt people because of that. I think of all the times I've been a hypocrite, especially working here at the church and ministry, saying one thing and doing something else, judging somebody for something, and then doing the exact same thing on the other hand. I think about all the judgments I've made of people that have been so unfair, so unjustified, so unfounded, seeing them in one moment and all of a sudden casting judgment on them. I think about all the times I've done that. And I think about all the lustful, impure thoughts I've had in my life. And the list goes on and on and on. And maybe you guys can say the same thing if you think about your life and you think about the things that you guys have done. And all of that, all of that was present at the cross. That was on the shoulders of our Savior. Your sins, my sins, the sins of this broken world, they were all present in that moment. And we look around today, guys, and we see sin everywhere, right? We can see it everywhere we go. We see hate, we see intolerance, we see violence. And if we needed a reminder of that, think about this past week in the news that came out. The tragic news of eight people who were killed in a string of shootings in Atlanta area spas. And six of those people who were killed were Asian women. And as the week went on, we started to hear more details about the victims. But I think what became clear is as these were, these were mothers, these were daughters, these were sisters, and now their families are grieving their loss. Their lives have been turned upside down. 
And what we're seeing is, Sally, this is just the tip of the iceberg, as we've heard more and more reports of really Asian American hate crimes. And the reality is this might have always been there under the surface, but now it's rising up, and it's rising up with more regularity and more violent and disturbing acts. You know, and in many ways, this hits close to home for me. My wife is Japanese American. Our, some of our pastors here at this church are Asian American. And I know at least three of our pastors uh, have, have shared stories with me where they and their families have experienced just mistreatment from people because of their ethnicity. One of our pastors was saying that their daughter, their daughter was outdoor dining, just eating outside, and some people came along and just started throwing eggs at them. And these are complete strangers that are doing these types of things. And, and our pastors, they don't share this widely, but I know it, it, it hurts them. I know it, it disturbs them. It worries them, especially for their families. And this same hate and disdain, I'm sure it's been felt by the black community, by the Latino community, by many other communities as well. And they've felt it for many years. And it doesn't stop at the color of our skin or our culture, but hate has seemed to filter into every area of our lives. And I think the thing that troubles us the most about that is there is a weight to this. When we see these things happen, there is a weight that troubles our souls. And as we heard about these shootings, as more details came out and the picture became more clear, I think that's what I felt was just a heaviness in the pit of my stomach. It actually made me sick. And maybe that's something that you guys were feeling as well. You know, it angers us, it saddens us, it hurts us. And I think at the end of the day, we just, we, we wanted to stop. We know these things are not of Christ, but the sad reality is that it doesn't seem like it is, like it's gonna to continue to move downhill and things will continue to worsen. And the fact of the matter is all of these sins are rooted in hate. And ultimately hate is rooted in sin and sin is in the heart of every man, woman and child who has ever walked this earth. There is no exceptions, not you, not me, not anybody watching this service. We are all guilty of sin in some shape or form. How it comes out just looks different for each of us, but that is all in our hearts. And on the cross, that crushing, unbearable, incomprehensible weight was on the shoulders of Jesus. That's what he was feeling. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment of incredible despair, of incredible agony and weight, when he needed his father the most, I think this brings us to the third reason of why Jesus cried this out. Because for the first time, the first time ever, he was experiencing separation from his father. You know, up until this moment, Jesus had lived every moment in complete harmony and fellowship with his father. So when Jesus cried this out, it was because he was experiencing a brokenness. Something was different in his relationship with his father now that he had never experienced before. That harmony was no longer there. His presence was no longer there. And we might ask, well, Jesus, didn't he know that this was temporary, that eventually his relationship would be restored with his father? Didn't he know that in three days he would rise again? And yes, yes, he did know those things. But the cry of Jesus from the cross, it's not about those things. I think it's about the separation from God that he experienced and the pain and the fear he felt because of that. And we got a hint that something was different in their relationship just in this very verse, just in these words, that for the first time in the Gospels, when Jesus refers to his father, he didn't refer to him as father. Instead, he said, my God, my God. There was already a difference. This was the only time that he referred to him that way in any of the Gospels. And he cried out in agony from this unbearably painful loss 
of fellowship with his father. And I'll be honest, guys, you know, separation can be excruciating. You know, this is something that, that I've been experiencing over these past few months. Uh, many of you guys know my sister Darlene, and she passed away this past January. She was only 52 years of age. Um, she died from cancer. She was uh, diagnosed in October. And many of you guys uh, know Darlene, maybe from the women's ministry here, maybe from her, her counseling, but such a special, special lady. And I'll be honest, it, it's been like such a devastating loss for my family and I as we've been trying to just make sense of this. 57 days after her surgery, she, she was gone. She was just gone. And I think about October of last year, uh, we're celebrating my dad's birthday, and, and uh, it's such a joyful time. And Sarah and I shared the news with our family for, for the first time that we're expecting. And I remember how thrilled Darlene was, just to, the thought of being an auntie. She, she, I have a video of it. She was so excited. And then three months later, I'm sharing the eulogy at her memorial service. And I, I just, it's a hard thing to wrap my mind around. And I think what has been such a struggle for me is uh, just knowing that there's this separation now between us, that I will never get to see her smile, that I will never get to joke around with her again, that as I share up here today, that usually I would look out and she'd be sitting right there in that section, and I would, I would see her smile, and I would see her, her support, and how reassuring that was for me. And this is the first time I've spoken on a weekend where, where she is not there. And that was something that sat with me all week. I just, it would come into my thoughts. And I don't think I'd ever felt that separation more painfully than a few days after she passed. And, uh, you know, I think when these things are happening, you're just trying to keep it together for your family, right? It's, it's a time of crisis, and so you're trying not to get emotional. A couple of days had passed, and I, I went up to her room, and that was the first time I had been in her room since she passed, because I, I just wanted some keepsakes from her. I just wanted some items that would remind me of her. And I got up into that room, and I, I looked around, and just everything reminds you of her. Everything is, is Darlene. I can almost feel her presence in that room. And I'd look, and I'd see uh, there was these movie ticket stubs, and we loved, we loved to go see Marvel movies, and that was kind of our thing, and I saw those up there on her mirror. I'd look, and I'd see pictures, and, and pictures of us as kids, and uh, she was the big sister. She's nine years older than me, and she was always taking care of me and loving me and looking out for me. And I looked at the foot of her bed, and I could think of all the, all the holidays where we would sit there, and, and we would just, uh, she would lovingly wrap my Christmas gifts for me. We would wrap it together, and we'd sit there for hours, and she would do that for me. And all I felt was just separation from her, knowing that I would never be with her in that way again. And people could, could tell me, Dave, you know, she's in heaven, and praise God for that fact. But in that moment, heaven was so far away, and all I wanted was just the presence of my sister in that moment. And I just got down on my knees, and nobody else was around, and I just cried. I think I cried in a way, I don't know if I've ever cried with that much heartache before. And the tears, I couldn't stop them. They were just flowing out. And there was this tangible ache in my heart because I knew, I just couldn't believe that I would never physically be with my sister on this earth until we're on the other side of heaven. And it, it, honestly, it pained me. And I would never wish this type of pain on even my worst enemy because it is 
in a way it's almost unbearable. That's what separation feels like from the people that you love the most. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you have gone through that. Some of you guys are going through that right now. And I'll say as hard as it has been uh, to kind of go through this, I know that this sense of separation, it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison to what Christ was feeling on that cross as he was separated from his father. In the moment of his greatest need, his father could not be there with him because he was wearing all of our sins. And I can't imagine what he was going through in that moment. But I think even as dark, as heavy as this was, there is something still so beautiful about what Christ was doing there and the repercussions of that, what that meant for you and for me. And that is your final point this morning, is that Jesus experienced separation from his father so that we would never have to go through this, so that we would never have to go through what he experienced in that moment. Because he was separated from his father, we never have to be if we give our lives to him. We don't have to sweat a drop of blood in the garden like he did because he already sweat those drops for us. We never have to worry about being on the cross and having those nails pounded into our hands and our feet as a, as a, as a punishment for our sins because he already did that for us. We don't have to be separated from God, not now and not ever. We never have to go through what he went through because he did it for each and every one of us. You know, I came across this, this great summary of all that Christ did for us that puts together some key portions of Scripture. And I wanted to share it with you because, you know, we read this passage and this passage, but really what was going on there? What did he do for us? And I wanted to share it for you. It's going to be up here on the screen. It says this, Jesus was delivered up because of our transgression and died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf and became a curse for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. We are the unjust. And became the propitiation, which is the atonement for our sins. And as a result, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I love reading that and I love seeing all of the different scriptures that is referenced time and time again of scripture of what Christ did for us. And I know for myself sometimes I can come to salvation and I can almost think, man, it's almost too easy sometimes. I, I say this prayer, I guess I'm giving my life to Christ. And I, I think, man, don't I have to earn this? Because everything else in this world that's worthwhile, we, we have to earn, right? We have to put some type of work into it. And sometimes we can think that. But the reality is, thankfully, that's not the way it works. Thankfully, there is nothing, there's nothing we can add to what he has done, not one single thing. He has done it all for us. And from what we just read, he died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He was the atonement. He paid the price for our sins. And because of this, we will never have to cry out those words that he cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will never have to be in that position if we give our lives to him. And instead, instead, we get to confidently claim what is laid out for us in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us until the end of time. How many of you guys find comfort in that promise? 
Amen. I know I do too, and I hope all of you do there. Amen. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. Father, we read this scripture, and there is, there is so much weight to this, Lord. We think about what you did on that cross, and I am as guilty of this as anyone, Lord, that we can read these scriptures, and sometimes we become so desensitized to them. We've heard it so many times, maybe from the time that we were a child, that we don't give the proper thought to what you actually did for us, how much you loved us, why you cried out in agony, Lord, that you took the weight of our sins on that cross after being beaten and tortured. But that in that moment, you were separated from your father. You were experiencing something you had never had before. And how heartbreaking and heart-wrenching separation can be. We've maybe gotten a glimpse of what separation looks like on this earth, but what it looks like to be separated from the people that we just love so much. And yet that is where you were on the cross for us. We thank you for that, Lord. And I know there might be some people here today out in that tent or watching from home who have not given their lives to Christ that the reality for them is that they might have to experience that separation from you, that agony because of their sins, Lord. And if that is where you are today, if you do not know where your heart lies, where your faith rests, if it is not in Jesus, it is not too late. You can give your lives to him. And I hope you would pray with me and just say these words. Father, I know I am a sinner. I know I have committed and done things that have hurt people, and I am ashamed of those things. But Father, I know that is not where I have to be. That is not where my life ends. I want to give my life to you. Father, take my life. Transform my heart, Lord, because I cannot do that on my own. And I thank you, Father, for what you did on that cross. I hope this is something that you will pray. And if you have prayed this, if you were here in this building or out in that tent, I pray that you would find one of our pastors. We would love to talk with you. We would love to help you and walk you through what a relationship with Christ looks like. If you are watching online, let us know in the chat. We would love to be able to connect with you because this is not a journey we want you to go through alone. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the truth of what you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. And we pray all these things in your precious and your holy name, Father. Amen.